When I was reading our text from Jeremiah, preparing for my sermon, I read this first line. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the children of Israel out from the land of Egypt. And I wondered, why, why would people stop talking about that? The Exodus was the defining, the defining moment in all of Israel's history. That'd be like if we as a nation just collectively stopped talking about suddenly the 4th of July. In fact, it'd be even more strange than that. Well, from what I know of Israel's history and their, their history of unfaithfulness, my first thought was, well, they must be forgetting God's promises and turning to idols. But then I read this next line and I was surprised to be wrong. Jeremiah says, But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the children of Israel out from the land in the north and from all the lands to which he exiled them. For I will restore them to the homeland I gave to their fathers. In other words, there would be a new event, a new great example of God's salvation and redemption uh, instead of the exodus from Egypt. They would have a new experience. And really, this, this happens all the time. It happened last week when I was at Camp Rise. There's always something new and unique each year, but one of the things that I can always count on being said during the week by the counselors is this. Back when I was a camper, and they go on to share a story about what happened to them when they were a camper, and then uh, those others who were there at the same time go, I remember that, and they share their experience too. And this happens in, in our, our regular society in every generation. Each generation has a defining moment. The Apollo moon landing, for instance, uh, 50 years ago yesterday, uh, for the silent generation, maybe uh, for the boomers, Vietnam and, and Woodstock, for Gen X, the Berlin, the fall of the Berlin Wall, for millennials, uh, 9-11. None of these experiences make any generation better than another, but it just means that they are shaped and, ex and affected by different things. And I bring this up because what happened to Israel, what happens in our secular world also happens in the church. And of course, everything that God uses for good, we can turn into bad. And so in the church, we can use different experiences to divide us. I would argue that until pop Christian music made its way into the church about 50 years ago, there was never as much division in the church as there is now. Because every individual wants their own style of music, and every church now tries to one-up the other with the latest fad or with the latest music. And this doesn't just happen with music, but, but even experiences. We can let the experience of becoming a Christian become our defining moment. When I was in high school, I used to go with a friend to a non-denominational camp to their weekly worship experiences. It was full of people just seemingly on fire for Jesus, surely true disciples. But one thing kept coming up were the stories of each person who was speaking, of how they got to where they are. God was mentioned, but not as the subject, the one doing the action the one doing the saving, but as the object on the receiving end. 
God was never doing the converting. That was on them. And so their, their conversion experience became their chief event, an example of redemption in their Christian life. Now, maybe that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But what can happen over time, and this is for anyone, is that you can begin to drift away. Or your Christian faith may not seem as strong as it once did. Or you may not be as excited for Jesus as you once were. And if you trusted that experience as proof of your redemption, as your sign of your discipleship, so what do you need to do? You need to have another experience. You need to rededicate yourself to Jesus. You need to get rebaptized. You need to do something in order to become a true disciple of Jesus once again. In fact, the short time I was at this non-denominational group, it left me so confused, left me believing that I maybe actually hadn't been a Christian at all until that time. And I remember going away to a youth convention, having such a wonderful experience that I began to remember that date as the, that I chose to be a disciple of Jesus. And I remembered it so much that I mentally kept track of that date and I started using it uh, as my pin for things. So if you want to hack into my Amazon Prime account, just look up that date. Jeremiah asks, Can a man make gods for himself? Yes, but they are not gods. I had made my own experience into a god. I had trusted in my coming to Jesus versus Jesus coming to me. For me, being a disciple was not so much about what Jesus had done for me, but what I could do for Jesus. But being a disciple of Jesus really has nothing to do with my coming to Jesus, but has everything to do with Jesus coming to me. Even the word disciple is passive. It means pupil, someone who sits is taught. Jesus makes disciples by coming to us. But he doesn't just zap us and make us a Christian. He doesn't just come with a feeling or an experience. He comes through actual things. Namely, through his word. His word of law and gospel. Jeremiah uses the illustration of fishermen and hunters. Now, I've never shot a deer, and I've caught more seaweed than I've caught fish. But I'm fairly positive that the venison on my table didn't get there because a deer decided to hop onto my plate. And that fish isn't there because this bluegill just magically landed there out of the sky. It took a hunter and fisher to vigorously go track them down and catch them. And of course, to, to things being caught, it's not a pleasant experience. To the Israelites who needed to be discipled, who needed to be taught, they needed, first of all, God's law. They needed to be caught and literally, in, in their case, taken into captivity to make them realize that they could not save themselves. Their salvation did not depend on them, or else, well, they, they wouldn't be in that mess. 
But then as swiftly as God's judgment came, so too would come deliverance. So God speaks words of gospel. The Lord is my strength and my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. Nations will come to you from the ends of the earth and say, our forefathers possessed only false gods, worthless idols, and there was nothing good in them. This really is amazing because God doesn't say through Jeremiah, you got yourselves into this mess, so you get yourselves out. But he says that the Lord is my strength and fortress. God himself would redeem the Israelites from their captivity. And as amazing as this experience, this redemption would be, it was only a picture of the greater redemption to come in Christ Jesus. We may be often tempted to think that it's up to us to get ourselves out of our messes. And we may think if, if things aren't going right, that maybe it's a result of, of my weakness or my failings or, or my lack of faith. And so we think that we need to, to do better. We need to be a better disciple of Jesus. And then things will go well. But God doesn't tell us to look to ourselves. If you doubt your salvation or forgiveness, look 2,000 years ago to where it was won for you. If you doubt your worth or you're not sure how anyone could love you, look no further than your baptism. It was at your baptism that your sin, your ugliness, your failings, your pride, your weakness, your guilt, everything was crucified with Jesus. And in its place was put the beauty of Jesus, the works of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the righteousness of Jesus. And God placed his name on you. That's how much God loved you. He made you his. Our baptisms were each of our greatest experiences. They were the moment that defined us not just as Christians, but everything. This is who we are. We are baptized into Christ. We are not defined by our failings or our sin. We are defined in Christ. And Christ has made you a disciple without anything that you have done. In fact, he's made disciples of all the nations by baptizing and by teaching them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.